Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Monday, June 15th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and today I am here with Mika, Sarah, and Stacy, and we are talking about books set at the beach, or at Yay. least around <laughs> bodies of water. <laughs> I, I cannot guarantee that we're going to be like 100% on the beach in the sand, but we're going to try. So before we get started, I have the usual housekeeping information for you. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And now I'm going to turn it over to Stacy, followed by Mika, then Sarah, and I will finish off the round. So Stacy, tell us about your first beach book. I'm so excited about this episode because I thought about it about a month ago um, because my favorite thing to do in the summer is to go with my, my family and my husband to a cottage up in Michigan. And with all everything with the pandemic, um, I wasn't sure if this could happen. And I thought, oh, well, if I can't go there for real this summer, maybe I can find books that make me feel like I'm there. And so um, the first book that I'm going to talk about is by an author that I just discovered. Um, and it's called The Summer Cottage. And the author is Viola Shipman. And this book takes place in Michigan. And it's of about, it does. I know, because I really <laughs> want to be there on the pontoon boat with wine and cheese and summer tunes. Oh, <clears throat> I'm there in my heart. Me too. So this book uh, is about Addie Lou and she is sort of at a rough place in her life. Um, her husband works at a university and um, was cheating with a grad student on her. She's in her forties. She has a son who's- <gasps> For shame. <clears throat> I know. And her son- who's in college is actually on that same college campus. So was dealing with some of that sort of blowback. Um, And Addie Lou has sort of lived for a long time with her husband's disapproval and sort of letting him sort of dictate the show and sort of mock any interest that she's had. And one thing that Addie Lou and her son love to do more than anything else is go to her family's historic cottage up in Michigan every summer. Well, as uh, Addie Lou is going through the, all the nonsense of her divorce, um, her husband keeps pushing her to sell the cottage. And Addie Lou goes there to comply with this. And once she gets there, realizes that this cottage is too important a part of her family history. I hope and she gets was a new her- husband. Oh, that may <laughs> happen Throw the whole later. husband away. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like- so- keep the cottage lose the husband and that's what she does so she decides she's going to turn her historical family cottage that's been in her family for three generations um into a bed and breakfast and so this book has everything it has for like the hgtv friends among us it has like the all the renovation stuff because she has to fix a bunch of stuff and then it has a little bit of a historical mystery she has to solve Um, and then it has what is my favorite aspect of any book where, um, a woman who kind of sort of comes into her own and kind of figures out who she is and does a lot of soul searching and finds confidence. And I love this book because it's about a small town that kind of rallies around Addie Lou 
because of her history with the town and her parents and her grandparents, and they're all thought of so fondly. And so, you know, she opens this bed and breakfast and through this kind of embraces um, some really great things about feminism. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. There might be, um, there might be some really lovely romance with um, a friend from childhood, uh, perhaps. And, you know, it's just about how through all of this renovation, Addie Lou finds where she belongs. And there's lots of amazingness about Michigan in the summer um, and Lake Michigan and lots of beautiful descriptions of the lake and, you know, the beaches of Lake Michigan. Um, and it's an amazing book. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it because it, it seemed to me like it could kind of either go over into being way too saccharine sappy but it never really did. So it just was like the perfect, perfect read for me when I was really longing for my, my vacations up in Michigan that have, you know, kind of gone back in time from like when my dad used to take my sister and me way back for our, our dad daughter weekends every year. And so anyway, it was a great book. I loved it a lot. And this will not be the last book I read by this author. And again, it's the summer cottage by Viola Shipman. Awesome. It's so good. Everyone needs to read it. So my book is an oldie but goodie. Yay, I love those. <laughs> Yay. Um, so it is The Hunt by Alison Brennan. Uh, and yes. Alison Brennan writes, well, this would be categorized as romantic suspense, but I think now she writes more thrillery kinds of things. Is thrillery a word? I guess it is now. I like um, the word thrillery. So okay. she writes more thrillery kinds of things. But before that, she had The Hunt, The Prey, and The Kill, which is the scariest damn trilogy in the world. So, um, <laughs> but The Prey or The Hunt is all about a woman. Um, the premise is these three FBI, um, these three roommates, they roommate, they roommated. Oh my God. They wow. roomed together. <laughs> they roomed together when they were at Quantico and, um, Roxanne ended up dropping out of Quantico and didn't become an FBI agent. But what she did become was a thriller writer. And, um, there, is someone who has been watching her and is using, she is taking the names of characters from the books and finding real people with those names and then murdering them in the way that that character was murdered in the book. That's terrible. So, yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty creepy. Um, and it definitely, um, it, she ends up like getting away, like needing to go away for a while. And this guy who is, um, you know, our hero is, um, assigned to protect her. And, um, a lot of this takes place on a beach. Um, and sadly they don't get the amount of like fun time beachy things that they can, that they can do because this killer is quite relentless and full of evil. Um, evil. <laughs> evil. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's a, it's a really good, it's a great beginning to that series. And back when I read it, I don't know that I'd really read a lot of books that had that premise before and this killer is freaking relentless like he's it's just it's rough it's really rough um but i think that the book is really good and if you enjoy if you enjoy your thrillers to be deadly and scary and frightening with um with some romance intertwined then i think you would really enjoy enjoy this book but you're going to want to read it maybe like while you're on a beach in a nice lawn chair in broad daylight with a socially distanced crowd and around <laughs> you and, and, 
and read it while the sun's out. So again, that book is The Hunt by Alison Brennan. I really like Alison Brennan. That book sounds really scary, Mika. It is. It is really scary, but yeah, no I don't think you were harmed it, in the Sarah. making of this book. No, I don't. <laughs> did you say no children were harmed in the making of this book? I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe I one day I could read it. But I think you could probably read this one. I think that there's probably other ones of hers that you couldn't, but I think this one you could read. You know what else I could read? What else? No. What Catch of the us. day. Catch of the day by Kristen Higgins. Not so, only could you read that, you did. I did. Read that. I did. It sounds read like it. it sounds like like the menu choices, like for a yes. food restaurant. And now yes. I want whatever the catch of the day is. Oh, oh well, and you, you would too. <laughs> yes, you would want the catch of the day. So, I was so excited, and I guess this is like my little like plug that I got to do this, but I got to check off like a life bucket list thing, and I got to interview Kristen Higgins about her new book. Um, last week. And so when we were talking about beach reads, I said, okay, so catch of the day isn't your traditional like sandy beach, like on a tropical island or by a hot sunny lake. But this book is just the most delightful thing I have ever read. And it takes place in Maine in a small town on the ocean, of course, because you're in Maine. And it's a lobster, like a fishing town. And the main character is named Maggie and Maggie is an identical twin and her twin is Christy. And before I tell you anymore, I have to give props to Kristen Higgins because most people that write books about twins, one twin is good and one twin is awful or they pretend to be nice and then they're like conniving. Um, so this is not how this one was at all. They're best friends and they are, exactly the kind of identical twins my sister and I are. So they'll show up places wearing the same shirt or like the same style of shirt. And like one of them will go get like some fun highlights in her hair and her haircut and she won't say anything to her twin. And then the next time they see each other, they've both gotten their hair cut and highlighted and didn't say anything to each other. (laughs) So I love that. (laughs) But anyway, that's not really about the book, but Maggie is like, yes. Maggie owns a diner called Joe's Diner, which I love books about people that own diners. I don't know why, but I always have. And she... Me too, girl. Me too. Oh, oh, good. Okay. So it's not just me. And she bought it from her grandfather. So it's been in her family, but Maggie has kind of like zipped it up a little bit, made it a little more interesting and some good food. And it's really clean and very cute. And she has, of course, really interesting um, people that work for her. And Maggie's twin, Christy, has like what you would think of as the perfect life. She has an amazing husband who is a doctor and she has a beautiful baby and Maggie is alone. I mean, she has friends, but she's not with anyone. And that sometimes is very difficult for Maggie. She sometimes gets quite lonely. Um, And it's one of those, like, I love it because she's so happy for her twin that she's found the right person, but It also makes her like jealous in a loving way. And so it starts off that Maggie is serving breakfast in her diner and this man comes in and he's super cute and he has an Irish accent and she's like, oh, he's mine. And she like falls head over heels in love with this person and he ends up being the new priest in town. And don't worry, this is not a book about, like, a taboo priest and a small-town girl. So she's, like, she loves him, and she starts doing things to be near him, like cooking for, like, church events and funerals and weddings and, and going to a Bible study and things that she usually would never do. Her family, like, they go to Mass sometimes, but they're not, like, huge into the Catholic Church. So while she's kind of, like, having this unrequited crush on Father Tim, she keeps having these like run-ins or these, like she keeps bumping into this lobster man and, and, and his own, and the only way that people know him by is his last name, Malone. Like nobody really knows his first name. They just call him Malone. And he's like so opposite from Maggie. Maggie's like all sunshine and joy. And he's like very morose and doesn't speak much, but it seems like 
several times throughout the book, he kind of is popping in to help her at just the right time. And he's just kind of there in the background while she's kind of doing this unrequited thing with father Tim. And she has um, some other dynamics in her life. She has her parents who um, her mom is always pretty critical of her and she does the thing. Now my sister and I are quite lucky that our parents don't do this, but a lot of twins get compared relentlessly. So it's always like, why don't you do this like Christy or why can't you find a nice man like Christy or blah, blah, blah. Why can't you, you know, be with a doctor or have a better job like Christy used to have before she had Violet. And it's just kind of hard for Maggie. You know, she sometimes kind of just feels second best, but this backdrop of this book is this little seaside town. And there's so much beautiful description of the lobster boats coming in and, um, the, how they all pull up their pots and how, you know, different times of year, things can be lean or things can be dangerous. And all woven throughout this book is just Maggie learning that not everything is like it seems and people aren't just face value. And sometimes if you just put your kind of preconceived notions aside, you might discover that, you know, maybe morose lobstermen might be a little more interesting than cute Irish priests. So if I were you, I would go running to your device and I would purchase <laughs> Catch of the Day by Kristen Higgins because you will not be disappointed. This is my favorite Kristen Higgins book um, of all time. Well, it's a tie, but it's one of my top two favorites. I love it so much. And I just, you know, the voice that she has for Maggie is just really um, relatable. I love this book. And I love all the, uh, like, the boating festivals, like, the races and, like, the, the town get-togethers. I don't know. I love it so much. There's, like, town gossip, and there's a great scene where somebody jumps off their lobster boat while it's still driving to quickly swim to the dock to profess their love to someone. And it's just got everything Whoa. in it that I love. And it's got the most adorable golden retriever in the history of golden retrievers. So you can't get any better than that. Let us make things eerie and atmospheric. So my first pick tonight takes the whole idea of a beach read to another level. This is The November Girl by Lydia Kang. This is a young adult kind of fantasy romance. And it's set on this island um, in Lake Superior. And our main character is a teenage girl named Anda. And Anda is quite literally the daughter of Lake Superior, like Lake Superior birthed her. And so to the sort of everyday observer, she just appears to be a teenage girl. But certain times of the year, Anda's powers come to life. And this is what keeps the island that she lives on alive. Um, this is sort of, you know, if she gives a certain amount of her time to the lake, then the island is able to survive. So every November, people have to leave this island because the things that happen there during the winter make it not safe for people to still live there. So on October 31st, the last ferry leaves this island and no one will come back until the spring. But this year, the ferry had a stowaway. And there is now a teenage boy named Hector who is hiding on the island because obviously he doesn't know that it's not safe to be there in November. He knows that this is a good place because it kind of empties out what he thinks of as just like for the winter season. And he is running from some really bad, terrible people in his family who want to harm him. So he figures he can hide out on this island during the winter, he'll turn 18, and then in the spring, he can come back to the mainland and kind of live his everyday life and not have to worry about his family. So he and Anda meet 
And at first, they're both kind of suspicious of each other. And Anda is really, really concerned about Hector being around on this island when all of the like elemental hell breaks loose. But she can't explain to him why she wants him to leave. So, you know, she can't really tell anyone that she's the daughter of Lake Superior because people don't really believe that. Nobody believed me when I tried to tell them. No, see? (laughs) I tried. I think I'd rather be the daughter of Lake Superior than the daughter of Lake Erie. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So they eventually kind of become friends and then their friendship deepens into something more. But one of the things I loved most about this, aside from just the really excellent atmosphere of the book and the way that the author is able to really make you feel like the impending danger that is upon you, like before you even know it, um, is that Hector and Anda have a fantastic relationship. It's full of like kindness and genuine care. You know, no one is like posturing and trying to be like the tough one. Um, Fake. Yes. They genuinely like care for one another. And I really appreciated that because you don't often see that in some of the young adult fiction. Like people are putting up a front and trying to appear stronger and worse than they are. And I really enjoyed watching these two come together and watching them deal with the consequences of who and what Anda is, not only on their relationship, but also just how this affects the wider world. So this again is The November Girl, and it is by Lydia Kang. And if you don't like the kind of, you know, summery, sunny beach reads, you might want to check this out. So you know I don't like young adults. I know, I was just going to say this. <laughs> but I really am intrigued, and I'm thinking that I might have to read it. Do you think I would like it? Is it a Sarah book, Shannon? I do. Shannon? I do. It's, you know, it's, it has a lot of the, like, YA fantasy element. It's very much a book that's written, you know, for that kind of, like, teenage audience. But there's just so much to like about it and it's a very original concept yeah you don't see too many people who are the daughters of lakes um and it was it was just really really excellent so my second book kind of revolves around um the impact of family secrets and of mistakes made and of tragedies that happen and how people deal with that all set against the beauty of California coast, and then later in New Zealand. Does anybody know what book I'm going to talk about? Yes. So this is, <laughs> this is When We Believed in Mermaids by Barbara O'Neill. I literally um, didn't know what you're talking about. Well, that's I was okay. Listening to them just excited. excitedly. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, so this book is really wonderful. Once upon a time on the California coast, we had a family who owned a restaurant on a cliff overlooking the ocean. And in this family, there were two sisters, Josie and Kit. And then there was a young sort of teen boy who the family kind of adopted. And this family had a lot of dysfunction. They were kind of messy, um, but they all loved each other immensely. And then tragedy strikes and things kind of fall apart for this family. And then years later, Josie, the older sister, um, is on a train and dies. She dies on this train. And the only people who remain in this family now are Kit and her mother. And so Kit has kind of moved on in life. Um, always missing her sister, but you know, she's moved on. She's an adult now. She's an ER doctor, um, in Santa Cruz and, you know, she's kind of getting on with life until one day she's watching the news and sees there's, um, a nightclub in New Zealand. Was it a nightclub? 
Yes. Mm, I think so. Yes. And it's on fire. And staggering through the flames of this fire is a woman who is the image of her dead sister, Josie. And Kit cannot let this go. I know. And Kit cannot let this go. So she decides that she is going to fly to New Zealand and she is going to solve the mystery of, is this woman their long lost Josie? And in New Zealand, Kit learns a lot about herself, about the woman her sister has become. She learns a lot about family secrets. She might even fall in love a little bit. And out of all the tragedy that befell their family in the past, both Josie and Kit and their mother have to face all of that past, all of the mistakes, all of the tragedy in order to kind of forge a different future. And that's all I'm going to say about this book because I don't want to give anything else away, but it's an amazing book. When we believed in mermaids by Barbara O'Neill and just her descriptions of the ocean and the waves. Oh yeah. I forgot. And Kit, she's a surfer. Yes. And that's her way of dealing with life's catastrophes and keeping herself on an even keel. She goes in the water and she surfs. It's just one of the most amazing books I've ever read. So please read it, please. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. It is the best. So I don't like, I don't believe in reading things in order <laughs> as, as the book. Me either. <laughs> much to their chagrin. You and I are the rebels, um, Mika. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, we are. So, um, so what do you think about books that have family? I love books that have family. And what about books that have sisters? I love, I love books, about books that have sisters. Yay! And how about books that take place on a beach and have magic? <gasps> Yay! I know what book you're so. going to talk about, and I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm talking about a book that is in the Drake Sisters series. It is called Oceans of Fire by Christine Fian. Again, an oldie but goodie. <laughs> it's so good. Um, the Drake Sisters all have different kinds of magic and this book focuses on abby and abby's magic is um that she has a strong affinity to the water and that she has a strong bond with dolphins and she um she ends up meeting a man named alexander volsov who is a an interpol agent and he um there's a lot going on there. <laughs> um, he broke her heart. So this is also a second chance romance. And, um, and they live, Abby lives with her sisters in the town of Seahaven, uh, which is somewhere in California. So I feel like people in California have been remiss in telling us about, you know, and not telling us about this magical beach and this magical community. But... Mm-hmm. Um, but it, part of the book actually takes place in Russia and, um, and then part of the book takes place in California on this beach. Um, lots of water, lots of scuba diving, lots of ocean life. And Alexander is kind of running from, um, or trying to catch, I think. Yeah. Trying to catch an assassin and, um, and he's an antiquities. Yes. Yes. And he's also a magical assassin. Um, no, I mean, well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, he's a a magical assassin, but he tends to use more physical assassiny tools. I'm just making up words all over the place. Assassiny. (laughs) Yep. Um, and, and so, but I think what I really enjoy about, about these books the most is that, um, there is a scene in this book when the sisters find out just how, like how much this man broke their sister's heart that they just all come together and just surround her. And it's just a really, really, really special and very sweet thing that happens there. Um, but there's lots of family ties and the romance is really great. I will say that 
Um, I sometimes Christine Feehan's heroes are um, fall on the alpha hole side for me, but he was probably the yes. least one. <laughs> He's probably okay. The one didn't. Um, so he's probably the, the, you know, he's, he is overprotective, et cetera, et cetera, but he's like, I don't want to punch him. So <laughs> I guess we're doing good. Um, but it's a, but it's a good book and I love reading about the magic and I love reading about the family and just how everything just kind of interweaves together and Sea Haven truly does feel like a very magical place where one could go after the trouble in every single book has been dispatched. So, (laughs) (laughs) so once again, that's oceans of fire, which is in the Drake Sisters series by Christine Feehan. So I read this book. No, I actually haven't. I was just going to say, I started with book four. I I did not know this was like a series. um, They came out on audible out of order. (laughs) So um, I started with the fourth one. I know. And so I, um, I read four through seven. And I've read the uh, the holiday one, but I never read Oceans of Fire. So thank I you for reminding Oceans, me about it. I think it came out a lot later than the other it ones. It did. On Audible. So that's why yes. I, I just, I was all over the place. But I, I really, um, I kind of forgot that I hadn't read that. So thank you for talking about it today. I cannot talk about my next book without a huge public. Mika was right. Thank you so much for telling me I had to read this book. Oh, without right? Mika, I never would have read Lake Silence by Anne Bishop. You did. You did. You well, okay. So you both did. Why don't you I'm say book beastresses? But then you can say like Mika's well, I guess like, description. I feel like I probably threatened Sarah's life though. Uh, <laughs> see, I didn't if, threaten if her. She I didn't read it. Well, she kind of was really pushy and she's like, um, I'll read Jane Yellowrock, but you're going to read, um, you're going to read this as soon as you're done with your book that you're reading now. Like she kind of didn't give me a choice. She was kind of really forceful. Did. <laughs> kind of scary. Forceful. See, Shannon, you just have a bossy. So I said, so. yes, Mika, okay. I shall read it. And I said, I, um, but Shannon and I, we do share a love of the others and so does Stacy. But, um, so I should, Shannon, I should give you the credit too, but Miko was really scary and she kind of threatened me and said I had to do it. <laughs> really scary. Or she wouldn't, she wouldn't I mean, read my true. yellow it is true. series. I really I mean, did. I, I mean, I couldn't like recommend a series for her and then not read something she told me I had to read. So, well, that's true. <laughs> so I started reading Lake Silence by Ann Bishop with a little bit of um, trepidation because it was not about the characters Sammy. I wanted to read. And it was kind yes. of like, Really, it's kind of like this random book in the middle of the series where, like, they don't mention characters from the other books, and they're never mentioned in books after it. No. But it's just the most beautiful story of a woman. And first of all, if your name were Vicky Divine, wouldn't you, like, <laughs> f- flaunt that name? Because I think it's awesome. Yeah. So this- it's a great name. <laughs> so Vicky Divine actually would not flaunt her name because she was um, married to a man who was very verbally abusive. And I believe sometimes physically as well, but definitely verbally, he was really mean to her and like called her fat and said all these awful things about her. So now finally he's found somebody else and he's divorcing her after, you know, breaking her down for several years. And the only thing she gets out of this marriage is this, um, in, in others' territory. So if people have read the others, the others are creatures who are not human. So there are elementals and vampires and shapeshifters and lots of other types of non-human, both terrible and beautiful creatures. And they are not like in other books where they totally pass for human. A lot of them don't know how to like even interact with humans or how to be human. So Vicky has them. Yes, they eat them. Yes, they're special meat. So Vicky, who is quite human, has to go and open this inn in this very, uh, very heavily others populated town. And she is obviously quite beaten down and quite downtrodden and it doesn't want to do anything to get off on the wrong foot with the others. 
but also wants to open this inn because this is all she has and she has no money and she has to be able to live. So her only lodger is a, she's from the crow guard. So she looks like a human woman, but she's a crow and she's quite comical and she always likes her shinies. And if you read the others, you will know what that means. The crows really like their bits of shiny, anything sparkly. They also like things like human eyeballs. So one day after she's been living there for a little while, a murder happens on her property and the lodger finds the man and this detective is just convinced that Vicky murdered this man, even though it is very obvious that no human could ever have done the things that were done to this bad man. Because as you will learn, if you read the book, the others really start to like Vicki Divine. She's kind to them. She starts reading them books. So like she'll sit where like, like out on her porch, like on her screen porch where the others can come up and not be noticed. And she reads to them and she's polite to them and never tries to assert her humanness, make herself more dominant. And they all start to rally around her and protect her from bad people like her husband who all of a sudden decides that oh wait maybe I want this in and maybe it's actually worth money on this whole lake front property we could tear down this in and we could make a whole big human resort and do all these great human things and you know the others they don't like that so God help the people who challenge the others and this takes place like I said like right on the shores of a lake and there's really some cool things with like a water elemental and some other yes and some other great characters I feel like I'm not doing this book justice but it's it's hard to explain unless you've actually read the series because it's a very fantasy it's not it's kind of our world but it's not like this takes place in California like it's not like that so um if you like Ann Bishop and you like kind of people who are lonely and develop like a, a found family and, you know, get, yes. yes. And, and there's a slight bit of um, hinted at romance and it's just such a beautiful, like just watching her come into her own on the shores of this lake and how the others who most of them don't even know any humans and they rally around Vicky divine and give her the confidence to become her own person. It's just one of the most wonderful books I've read in a long time. Thank you to Shannon and Mika. And it is called Lake Silence by Ann Bishop. And it is number six in her others um, series. So it wouldn't be a book that you would may want to jump in and just read. You may want to start at the beginning and read. Know, it's kind of good, it Isn't it number six. five? I oh, no, it's no, number it's six. number six. Okay, sorry. But it's, I, think I mean, you maybe you actually read it well, as a standalone. I guess it, I guess it kind of is a standalone. It's just, I mean, if you don't know anything about the world of the others and you start reading it, it doesn't really explain the others very much. So some people may like be able to jump right in and read it. Some people might be a little confused. I'm not sure. I like that. Um, so I, I know this is going <laughs> to, I know this, I'm about to shock you all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you actually do need to read this in order. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa, Mika. Mark it down on the calendar, June 15th. This is what Mika said. Yep. Whoa. <laughs> I think that you actually do need to read this in order because there are, um, without spoiling things, I mean, there's a big twist in, oh, in oh. the series. And yes. this takes place kind of after it becomes brand new. And so, and and there are some callbacks to the original series. And I think that's more poignant and extra special. If you've read, if you've read them and I will just say that in general, the others is like, I've read all of them except the, um, the, the last um, one, the one that, yeah, the last one. Thank you. Wild Country um, is really so I have not Mika. read Wild Country yet. But... Mika, <laughs> drop whatever you're reading and read it right okay. now. It's that good. 
It's so good. I love Wild Country. So I think I what I need to do these. is just read that whole series again because yes. just in general, it's just like Aww. getting it's like getting a hug. And when you're living yes, in times is. like these where like everything just feels like it's on fire and is just peak awful, it's the others is just like this found family and family <gasps> it, and it just kind of happens and they're super annoyed by it that like, oh yes. shit, now we have people that we have to watch out for but it is it is really fantastic all right so my next pick is not paranormal so we don't have any magic here this is a debut novel that just came out a couple of weeks ago this is the house on Fripp island by rebecca kaufman and it takes place on this little island off the coast of South Carolina, which is called Rip Island. And it is about two families, Lisa and her husband, win an all-expenses-paid vacation to this kind of guest house on Fripp Island. And I, it's a, I don't know if you do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like a really very fancy place. It's a huge house. And for them, it would be kind of silly to go by themselves because it's just them, um, the husband, the wife, and they have two daughters. So they decide that they want to invite another family to join them for this vacation. Oh, no. And there are a few people that her husband wants to invite and it doesn't work out. So finally, Lisa ends up asking Poppy, who is her childhood best friend. And they've kind of been in touch since they were kids, but they're not nearly as close as they used to be. And Lisa figures, well, maybe if they spend you know, these like few days together, they can kind of reconnect to be good. Their friendship can kind of you know get back in gear. So these two families, Lisa's family, who is very wealthy, and then Poppy's family, who is just like, not very wealthy, um, come together on Fripp Island for a kind of five-day vacation. And they each family has two kids that are kind of close in age. But they just live very different lives. And so it turns out to be difficult for them to find common ground the way Lisa hoped they would. The kids seem to hit it off pretty well, but the adults are struggling. And as time passes, tensions kind of begin to build. And you start realizing that so many of these people, even some of the kids, have things that they're hiding. And when this vacation is over, someone will not be going home. Oh, God. Yes. Okay, maybe yes. I don't want to win this vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I thought, a really, really cool take on the whole beach vacation thing because you do have a lot of that lighthearted, like, you know, drinking wine on the beach with your best friend. And Ooh. you have a lot of that really great atmosphere. But you also have some of the darker elements of like, what happens when the woman that used to be your best friend turns out to be someone that you don't like quite as much as you used to? And how is it that you can still value this friendship when the person that used to be your best friend leads a life that you just don't understand anymore like how, how do you make that okay so this is women's fiction I would say um with like a touch of mystery it's not like a huge thing but there is a little bit of intrigue that's kind of woven into the story um I was really surprised how much I liked it I kind of expected it to be just sort of on the lighter end of the spectrum and it actually had quite a bit more depth than I um, than I was expecting. So this again is the house on Fripp Island, and it is by Rebecca Kaufman, and I really liked it. Hey. So I'm kind of hung up on cottages in Michigan, apparently, because <laughs> <laughs> my next book is also about cottages in Michigan. Because can you tell that's like. I look forward to it all year and I was really having some extreme angst about the postponement of my Michigan week. Um, our, hearts. Pontoon, our hearts really want to be 
on the little lake that we go to on the pontoon oh. with wine and cheese, watching my kids fish. Stacy oh, and I'm hanging out with the fam next year. I'm oh, saying, oh, inviting myself so to your fun. family Please. vacation. We it's would so love it. Laid back, and we all like sing like stupid like songs that are on because like no one else is on this lake, and your voices bounce back at you, and it's so great. But because I'm not there right now, um, I found another book that would sort of transport me to Michigan, and that is Beach Read by Emily Henry. It was amazing. Sorry, and <laughs> no, you're good. Um, this book made me really happy. You, um, I mean, it's so many things, but. Um, it's about two authors, January Andrews, who is a romance author with her happily ever afters and Augustus Everett, who is a literary fiction author with many sort of morose kind of endings. Now, January and Gus knew each other in college. And had sort of this rivalry within the creative writing program for all the time they were there. And now imagine both of their chagrin to realize that, uh, you know, uh, January sort of broke and desperate to kind of get over her writer's block after writing three successful books. And Gus is going through his own sort of writer's block. And imagine their surprise to discover that they have rented or that they are in living in cottages for the summer that are next door to each other all summer with your college nemesis right next door. Who is now grown up. Yes. And close enough that they can see each other clearly through kitchen windows and the like. So for the first little while, January ignores Gus to the best of her ability as she does her best to kind of move beyond her writer's block. She had, something happened in her life that completely knocked her on her ass and she's had no ability to write anything happy for 15 months, 18 months, something like that. So over a year, she hasn't been able to write. And so she keeps putting off her, her editor, her agent. She just keeps like making excuses saying the book is almost done when really she hasn't even written the first words in her manuscript. So she's decided that this summer on Lake Michigan, she's going to just buckle down and get it done. But Gus proves to be a distraction because everywhere she goes in this small town, there's Gus. <laughs> and so after some sort of prickly encounters, <laughs> which, by the way, I have to say, we're sort of on the rom-com end of prickly, but without either too much angst or too much, like, obnoxious cuteness, um, they come to an agreement. Or a bet, if you will. <laughs> January is going to write a literary novel that does not have a happy ending. And Gus is going to write a romance. So they decide what they're going to do to help kind of coach each other is for, for January, she'll get to go to um, interview people who were part of this backwoods death cult. Because that sounds like a really fun thing to do if you're a romance writer, right? And then for Gus... January keeps taking him to all these like ridiculous sort of like rom-com type places. um, So he can research how to write a romance and it sounds so fluffy, right? Like, Oh, that's so silly. And this book is so much deeper than that. There's a lot of family dynamics. There's a lot of sort of character development, figuring out who they both are as writers, as people and how together Are they going to reconcile the feelings that they are developing for each other all against the backdrop of Lake Michigan? So I love this book so much. Like it made me really happy when I read it. I like read it basically in one sitting. Um, I couldn't put it down and you know, it's just, I don't know. It's like everything that I want in a contemporary romance. And this book again is beach read by Emily Henry. The first book I have read by her, but Definitely not the last. She's an auto buy for me now. <laughs> it was really good. This was recommended to me um, last month, actually, when I interviewed um, a women's fiction author named Laura Hankin, and she had really, really good things to say about this. And so that kind of put it on my radar 
Um, so I'm pretty excited for it. You'll love it. I promise. It's, it's everything good. So my third book um, is Beach-ish. <laughs> adjacent. Beach adjacent. Beach adjacent. <laughs> or as I like to think of it as beach-acent. You know, sometimes <laughs> well, there we go. all over the place lately. <laughs> oh my God. So it is The Search by Nora Roberts. And Yay. it takes place in Washington. Who's <laughs> kidding? Washington. <laughs> On Orcas Island, and I'm pretty sure that we actually do have a town called Orcas Island. But the main character is a dog trainer named Fiona. And Fiona is the, um, the survivor of a serial killer who's in jail. Oh. Um, and Fiona, cha- she trains dogs for search and rescue and she just trains dogs in general and and then comes um i think the main dude's name is simon i'm pretty sure that's his name yeah sounds right sure um (laughs) so the hero's name is simon and here comes simon with a dog that is well um the dog is not very well trained and eats his socks and shoes and other paraphernalia. <laughs> and to be quite Nora. honest with you, the dog is one of the best parts of this entire book. Right? I agree. I feel like Nora writes the best, like, bad dogs, dogs ever. She yeah. truly does. <laughs> and his name is Jaws. <laughs> Jaws? Like the shark? Yes. Yeah. Yep. His name is Jaws. Why don't I remember this? And, and, and he calls him Jaws because he eats everything. <laughs> but but we get to see a lot about like island life and a lot about um the people who live on this island we get to learn a lot about um search and rescue because nora roberts is like a freaking career you know she could write about like careers and textbooks and i would just be interested in anything i know (laughs) she writes really great books so we know all i know all about dog training and and am now in, an expert um so and so we get to learn all about these wonderful dogs and then the heroine has dogs that she names after old old time after um oh my god i forgot the word but like fa- well famous actors that yes. were old older like <laughs> she names her dogs after um actors from old movies thank you yes <laughs> Actors from yesteryear. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a Beauregard. Ah. Yeah, she, she has one of the Beauregard in, um, I think there's another one like, named Gable. After Clark Gable. I, I want a German Shepherd named Gable. That would make me happy. Oh, that would be cool. Oh. So, and, and there's like... Uh, Every, everybody is cute and wonderful. But this book, it's just a, a, it's not a light read, but it's not like as heavy as a lot of her romantic suspenses can be. And I think one of my favorite parts is that she really twists it up for the end. So, um, but it's, it's, it's a good beachy, beach adjacent read. <laughs> um, and I want to go to Orcas Island. Now, I think I think well, you probably could this island. I, yeah, I feel like we have one somewhere. Yeah. So again, it is the search by Nora Roberts, and it has a very special place in my heart because I read this book um, on the way to get my second guide dog. So, oh, I was on the train, oh. and I read it in audio. Yeah, oh my gosh, I know. So, what I really love about this book is how. She gives you time to settle in before she kind of brings the the suspense element. Um, you know, you get to see her working her dogs on several search and rescue um, assignments. Assignment. I don't know what the right word is, but um, and you know, her her romance with um, Simon feels much more organic. Um, she's helping him train his dog. He's this moody sort of like woodcarver artist dude. Um, 
And it talks a lot about the scenery around the island. Like, I don't know. It just, it makes me, I've, this is one of the ones that I've gone back and reread years later. And I loved it even more um, during my second read of it. I don't know. It has everything. I thought I really loved it. I read it when it first came out. Um, and I remember like certain aspects of, but why I do not remember a dog named after a shark. Um, I really don't know. I, I feel a little cheated by my mind. Oh, no. <laughs> I can reread it. <laughs> yeah, you have to reread it. Yeah, so I can see this, this canine. So if we're going to talk about books that we, that we reread, try saying that fast. Books we um, read recently? No, books that we reread and recently. it was recently. Yes. Right. <laughs> I want to talk about The Great Escape by Susan Yay. Elizabeth Phillips, ah. which is so delightful. And so I just happened to see a Facebook Live. It just popped up on my Facebook of Susan Elizabeth Phillips giving an interview to a smaller bookstore in Chicago that she usually goes to, but couldn't because of the pandemic talking about her newest novel. And when I saw this interview and she was talking about some of her other books, like during the process of the interview, during the course of it, I went back and started just binging. So you can ask the other book beastresses for about two Mm -hmm. weeks. It was Susan Elizabeth Phillips every day, all day, all the books. And they were just as good this time as they were the first time. And I loved The Great Escape. And I thought it fit really nicely into this beach theme, which again, I'm sorry it takes, some of it takes place in Michigan, but um, why are you sorry? That's, not, that's not, well, that's not why I chose it, but oh. it does take place a lot of it on an island in Michigan. And this story is about Lucy Jorick, who we first see as a child in um, a previous book called First Lady. And now she's grown up. And Lucy is supposed to marry the perfect guy. Everything about him, he's just a wonderful man. Textbook perfect, wonderful. And for some reason, as the wedding day approaches, Lucy just gets more and more unsure, even though he's everything she should want. He's just a wonderful man. So on her wedding day, she ends up, telling him, I just, I just can't marry you. I I can't do it. And then she takes off on this, the back of this disreputable looking motorcycle with this man. She's like, she runs away from the church in her very expensive gown and she's hiding like in an alley and this motorcycle pulls up and this man's like, want to ride? And she's like, yes, 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 I do. And she's like, you know, totally wearing her expensive wedding dress and you know, not looking like someone who would ride a motorcycle. And he is like totally the antithesis of the man she's supposed to marry, who is perfect and charming and irresistible. And so she ends up staying with this guy and following him kind of across the country. And at first she thinks he's really nasty. I mean, he like, she thinks he's drinking all this beer and he's like belching and like (laughs) just totally like eating with his mouth open and like scratching and like just being like somebody that Lucy is not used to seeing in her privileged life of growing up as the adopted daughter of the first lady who becomes the president of the United States. So she's had a very good life and she's sleeping in these gross hotels and there's no secret service to kind of like buffer for her. And she starts learning as she follows this man who tells her to call him Panda across the country. (laughs) He has a real name, but I'm not going to disclose what it is. We're just going to call him Panda. As she goes across the country, she realizes that this disreputable biker is like a lot more than what he seems to be. And he also seems a lot to know a lot more about her than what he should. So she ends up going to this island in Michigan. Again, it's Michigan. Um, it's not Mackinac Island, but it's an island. And staying in his beach house. And it's how she kind of starts to learn who she is because for years she's tried to be the perfect first daughter and the perfect 
everything. She wants to be someone that her adoptive family will be proud of. And so she's given up kind of her rebel ways from her childhood. And it's kind of her learning how to find herself and how she develops these great friendships. There's another woman on the island who really is lost and lonely and needs a friend. And Lucy becomes her friend and um, a child who really, really, um, he's lost his grandmother, who is the only person that he has in the world. And then some other people move into Panda's beach house with her that um, seem to be really awful, repellent people, but actually she's not an awful, repellent person. She's very interesting. And it's just kind of a whole book about how Lucy discovers who she is and, and, and starts to learn what she wants to be and not what she thinks people want her to be. And it's such, it's in my opinion, one of the greatest like character, character development books that I've read in a long time of where she starts off and where she ends and how Panda fits into her life. It's just a wonderful book. And a lot of it takes place um, on the shores of Lake Michigan on this beautiful (laughs) Island. That's very touristy and um, friendships and romance and everything that you would want for a beach read. And this book again is the great escape and it's by Susan Elizabeth Phillips and everybody should read it. It's one of my favorite I need to read time this. books. It's really I've good. Read this. It saddens me that you haven't. I did not even know about it until a couple of weeks ago when you guys told me. I do I'm not like. So sad. I did not even know that there was a book about Lucy. Okay. So my final pick tonight pays homage to my lesbian self because we are going to talk about Provincetown. So this is Summer Longing by Jamie Brenner, and it takes place in Provincetown, Rhode Island, which, if you don't know, is like a huge summer place for the LBGT population. Um, It's like one of the places that was kind of gay-friendly before it was cool to be gay-friendly. So people always (laughs) congregated there, Um, Some of those places that if you're queer in any way, you kind of just want to go to Provincetown. It's like a rite of passage that I've never done. So anyway, this is Summer Longing, and it is the story of a group of women. Um, We first meet Ruth, and Ruth is this very hardworking, no-nonsense older woman who has retired and she comes to Provincetown wanting to make a new life for herself. So she rents this really pretty idyllic cottage for the summer and she figures like while she's there she can try to find a house that she's going to live in for the rest of her life. However, things get really complicated when on the porch of this cottage that she's renting someone leaves a baby. And Ruth has no idea like, what to do. Like, she doesn't know who this child belongs to. She hasn't taken care of a baby in like 30 years. This is just not what she wants. So she gets in touch with the people that she rented the cottage from who happen to be a lesbian couple. And Elise comes down you know, back to the cottage and she's like, oh, it's, it's a baby. Wow, I'll, I'll just keep it because you know, that's, that's what you do. So Elise has wanted a child for a really long time. Um, They've tried uh, a fertility treatment and they just, she can't get pregnant. She can't maintain a pregnancy to term. And she really wants to adopt. Her partner is a little less certain that adoption is like the the best route for them to, to take. And her partner is really concerned that Elise is becoming too attached to this child. She doesn't want to call the police and report that the child has been abandoned. And she just sort of thinks that you can just all of a sudden, like, have a baby and that's fine. Like, no one's going to question you about it. So she decides, Elise decides that, you know, she, she owns this tea shop. And she and her partner had been living above the tea shop while their cottage was being rented out to Ruth. But this isn't good anymore because you have this baby. So she decides that Ruth can stay in the cottage. That's fine. But they're going to live there too. And no one really thinks this is a good idea. Like Ruth is horrified. 
um, Elisa's partner is like really skeptical. She's like, no, you know, we can't do that. We can't expect this person to pay us rent. And then like, we're all going to live here. And slowly, as these women do their best to figure out what is going to be the best thing for this baby girl, um, you start to learn a lot about their pasts and some of their dreams, some of which they've realized, some of them they haven't. And it's just a really lovely story of motherhood and what it really means to be a mother. Um, it has such a fantastic atmosphere. I think she does a great job of bringing Provincetown to life here. She features the town in several of her other books, and you can just tell it's a place that's very close to her heart. Um, she, it's so, so vivid. It's almost like a character in its own right. Um, so I got a little bit annoyed just for the sake of, of transparency with the whole idea that like, oh, here's this child and you can just keep it and you don't have to tell anybody. And most people that sort of learn about this tend to think that this is fine. Um, I don't know people in real life who would just decide that that was fine. So it kind of depends how you feel about that. Um, I did get a little bit annoyed that no one was saying, you know, hey, there are like proper channels you're supposed to go through and you can't just have this baby on your porch and decide it's yours. Um, you know, it's, it's not a kitten. <laughs> you can't just take it in like that. Um, but aside from that, it's just a really, really great book. I really enjoyed other books that Brenner has written. Um, but this one was very, very special. So it again is Summer Longing and it's by Jamie Brenner. That book sounds good, Shannon. It is very good. I really like Jamie Brenner. Okay, so this brings us to the end of our beach-themed episode. Thank you to Stacy, Sarah, and Mika for talking about such fantastic books today. If you aren't at the beach this summer due to COVID or to anything else that might be keeping you away, um, hopefully this episode will kind of help at least give you some beach reading suggestions. So thanks, of course, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And thank you so much to all of you who join us each week for our discussions of all kinds of books that we love. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.